There's your, there's your text right there, right? Joshua 6. Well, we uh, go ahead and, and turn there now, Joshua chapter 6, and I'm going to invite Haley Dean to come on up, and Haley will be reading the scripture for us this morning, and Haley is a wonderful young lady who God has used in a powerful way already. Haley has been a member of this place for a while, grew up here at Taylor's and came to faith in Christ and was discipled here and then went to Charleston Southern. And um, while there, the Lord began stirring in her heart to, for the nations to go overseas. And, um, and so we, at that time, had been, been praying about our people group to adopt an unreached, unengaged people group over in the Middle East. And so, um, as the Lord would have it, God called Haley along with another young lady from, I think, Alabama. Uh, and then another couple ended up on the field there. But the beauty of Haley standing here is she is an answer to prayer. Because on that very first vision trip that we went on, I remember Jeremy, who was on that trip along with one of our lay leaders, was praying specifically. I remember the exact spot where they were praying. Lord, would you send someone from Taylor's here to this place to be a part of reaching this people group? And when I say a people group, it's a people group that has a distinct culture, a distinct language, but there's no known believers among this people group. And so Haley answered God's call, answered our prayers for that. She went for two years. The Lord has brought her back here, and the Lord is just continuing to guide and direct. But I'm so grateful for you, Haley. And Haley is going to read our scripture this morning, Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Will you please stand for the reading of the word this morning as we enter into our time of teaching? And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. Thank you, you may be seated, and may the Lord bless the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. As I tell that story of Haley going over to the Middle East and that trip we were there, I want to show you a picture, and it's a picture of a mosque that is there in uh, the second largest city in the nation in which we're still engaged with, and it's um, obviously a beautiful building architecturally, and um, and this building was sitting near the hotel in which we were stationed, kind of headquarters for our time there. And uh, it was just across the parking lot and down just a little bit. And so one morning, uh, two of us went out and we began to prayer walk around this mosque. And um, to be honest with you, when we started prayer walking around the mosque, my initial thought was one of being completely overwhelmed. 
And it reminded me of the feeling that I had when a couple of years earlier, we had gone to Cairo. South Carolina Baptist sent some pastors over to Cairo to, to explore possibly doing work there. And when we landed at the, at the airport in Cairo, we got in the car, began to work our way through the city and was just mass floored by the size of Cairo. And we come into this neighborhood where we were going to stay in a house and it was really, really crowded and tight. The cars were all jammed together and the houses were all jammed together. And we got out of the car and you, and you heard the call to prayer. And, and you begin to, to just kind of take in the size of the whole city. And I'll never forget that feeling getting out of the car. We hadn't even been there an hour of being completely overwhelmed by the task of getting the gospel to Cairo. Well, felt similar as we're walking around this mosque because, as I said earlier, among the people group that we were trying to minister or reach there, there's not one known believer, not one man or woman, boy or girl that we know of who has professed faith in Jesus Christ. So the size of the task was overwhelming. And then as we were walking around this building, just thinking of, of the power that the, the religion of Islam has over entire people groups and over entire nations, including this one. The power of, of, of the imams and of the religious leaders and of the government leaders, the power that they have over the people and really the hopelessness of the people beyond the walls of that mosque. And so as we began walking and, and praying and just we're, we're voicing these prayers, obviously, just so that we could hear, but we're voicing these prayers and, and we're outnumbered, we're overwhelmed, there's this sense of opposition to us, but something happened this, by the second day in which we were praying. A heart, my heart began to turn a little bit after that, that first day. But certainly by the second day, my heart began to turn because here's how we began to pray. We, we began to, to shift our focus from the size of the task or the opposition or the power or the hopelessness of the people. We began to, to move away from those things and we began to see and to trust and to call upon the power of God. And we began to understand that, that in our humanity and in our own strength, there is no way that we can get the job done. We don't even have a strategy on this day. That's why we're there. But there's no way that we can get this done on our own, that we desperately need for God and his power to work. And we know God's heart for the people of this nation, for this people group, because he sent Jesus to die for that people group. And Jesus said that every single people group will hear the word of God, will hear the gospel before the end will come. So we know that this people group will hear the gospel. We know that every tongue and every tribe will be represented at the end of time. When all is said and done, this people group will be represented around the throne one day. And we begin to pray that and suddenly all the fear and all the opposition melts away in the power and the heart and in the promises of Almighty God. Transformation takes place. And I can't help but wonder if this is what happens in the text that we just read when the people of God are asked to do something that on the surface seems really unconventional, 
really radical, but to overcome something that stands in front of them that is certainly overwhelming. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to speak on really two levels. One, to talk about the Jericho, the things that are in front of you this morning. Because every single one of us, if we were to be honest with one another and we were to have a, have a conversation, maybe over lunch, we would say, here's the Jericho God has in front of me. Here is the city. Here's the obstacle. Here is the, here is the, the military and, and, and armed men of the city looking down upon me as they're looking down upon the nation of Israel. That's one level. Here's the second level. Us collectively as a church. Us collectively as a body, as we, as we stand in, in front of, uh, of a Jericho, maybe it's, it's seeing our church move in a different direction. This is our heart. Maybe it's seeing our church reach more people and baptize more people. It's seeing more worshipers to join us. You see, we're really at a transition because this morning is a beautiful thing. In both hours of our worship time, we gather together for the first time in a, in a new service setting in a new worship setting where there's no more traditional or modern or contemporary worship styles. Now we're under the banner of Taylor's worship, worshiping together. Some of you life groups, this isn't the hour that you normally worship because you've, you switched your, your life groups. We, we've just now entered into, in January, a, a, a new thing where we're reading the Word of God together. We're preaching every single week based on what we're reading. But could it be that God has, has pointed out this particular day before spring comes and before summer comes and before we, we scatter on vacations and we move out for the summer? Could it be that God has ordained this day for us as a church to say collectively, are we going to listen to when God asks us to move in a radical direction to do something different for the glory of God? Are we going to be willing to do so I'm going to speak on, on those two levels. And I want you to write down these notes and, and to think through them throughout the week and process and pray through them. And here's what we see, first of all, this morning as we come to Jericho. Number one, ready? Visualize God's power at work behind the walls that seem impassable. Visualize God's power at work behind the walls that seem impassable. So here's when the nation of Israel, they, they come, they've crossed over the Jordan River, now Moses is dead. He's gone. Joshua is the, is the new leader. Moses said, here's the guy. And so Joshua leads them across the Jordan River and they come to the promised land. They're standing in it, but they don't possess it. That's what the whole book of Joshua is about, possessing the land. So here they are, city number one, fortified city uh, number one. The oldest city maybe in all of civilization, they think, is the city of Jericho. So when the spies... When the spies, the 12 spies 40 years earlier, when they marched into the, uh, to the land and they see the city of Jericho, maybe this is what they're talking about when they said, you know what, we can't do this. We, we, we can't take the land because the cities are fortified. They're strong. Their walls are big. The people are armed. There's no way when we go into the promised land that we can actually defeat these people. So 40 years later, here they come. Here they come. And for some of these guys, think about this. For some of these people who have wandered in the wilderness, if they're under the age of 40, maybe they've never seen a city like this before because they've just been wandering around in the wilderness. And they have to be thinking, okay, they have a military, they have a history, they have a past, they have these big walls. How in the world are they going to take, take this? And 
This is where God says, let me remind you of something. I want you to know that I'm already at work. He says it in a couple of places. Number one, he says it over in Joshua chapter 2. Here come the, 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 the new spies. They come into Jericho to scout it out. Joshua sends them in. And they come to this prostitute's house, not to solicit her for, for a sexual favor, but for information. And they're trying to figure out what, what is this place like? And Rahab, that's her name, she says to them, you know what? God is already at work here. We, our, our hearts are already melting in fear because of, because of your God, because you've, you've crossed over the river, and now you, you, you've taken on kings that you shouldn't have defeated, and God, through his powers, defeated them, and we are already afraid of you. When at the end of, of chapter 2, the spies come back to Joshua, they're not like the previous generation spies. They come and say, Joshua, we can do this. We can do this because the people's their hearts are already melting. They're already fearful. God is already working among them. The narrator of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, the kings of the new land, their hearts were already melting in fear because of what God was doing. So thought number one this morning is this, when you come up to a Jericho and all you can see are the fortified walls with the military men standing on top, I want you to visualize with the eyes of faith not with your physical eyes or with your physical emotions, but with spiritual eyes. I want you to see that God is already at work behind the walls, behind the curtain, behind the hearts. God is working and moving at his own pace and in his own way, but in his own power in order to bring about what he's going to ask you to do. You just have to see it. You, have to, you just have to visualize that. But then secondly, secondly, look at what happens there. Read with me in verses 12 through 14. Look at, look at, look at how this all unfolds. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. Haley read for us the instructions that God had given Joshua. So Joshua gets up early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once, and then they returned into the camp. So they did for six days. All right, thought number two this morning, if you're taking notes, is this. Walking with God does something. Walking with God, when God asks you to do something that is totally unconventional, like he asked the children of Israel, it leaves you vulnerable from a human perspective. But from a spiritual perspective, it leaves you trusting him and not yourself. So walking with God in radical obedience leaves us vulnerable because we're no longer in control. We're no longer certain. We no longer have the reins. We no longer are operating according to our guidelines and our map. It leaves us vulnerable, but it leaves us trusting him and not ourselves. So picture, here's, here's the scene. Joshua says, all right, here's how we're going to do this thing. The armed men are up front. So they had a military, they had an army. The armed men, you're up front here. And then the priests, you're going to blow the trumpets. And notice in the text, it says that as they march around the city, this very unconventional ceremony that they have here, the priests are just blowing the trumpets continually. They don't quit. Because, Joshua said, the people, as you march around the city, you're not to say one single word. Zip it. 
No words until the very end on the seventh day. So the priests are blowing the trumpets. Then you have the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was, was carried on these poles by priests because the Ark of the Covenant was this wooden box that Moses gave instructions to build overlaid with gold, and inside were the Ten Commandments. Inside was um, manna as a reminder of God's provision. Inside was uh, Aaron's rod that um, performed mighty miracles. And so inside this box... Uh, are, are con contains the, the things that are very, very important for, for the worship of God. In fact, this box doesn't come out except when they take it into battles as God commands or in processions, but it remains in the most holy of holies in the tabernacle. So they bring it out and they have it on poles. It's the presence of God himself. And then behind them is the armed guard. And so here they are, they're to march and they're to walk around the city once in the morning. And then when they're done, they go back into the camp, they come out and they do it for six days that they do this. Now, can you imagine? Here, I want you to think through this a little bit. We take this story. It's a, it's a great story. Learned it when I was a little boy. And we, we love this story. But we don't, we don't think through what's going through the minds and the, the hearts of the people in relationship to God. And what they're doing is they're walking in vulnerability. And they're walking with God because here's why. A couple of things. A couple of things. The people have to lay down their expectations of how they're going to take the city. I mean, they, they've been in skirmishes in the past. And, and so when Joshua comes to them and says, here's how we're going to do this thing, they might be thinking, oh, you know what? That, that's a really neat opening ceremony, Joshua. I can't help but think of the Olympic ceremonies that... You, that, that um, that we watch and we viewed when the Olympics come on as the people march around the, the stadium there and they got their flag and they say, here's who we are, here are the athletes, and they come into the stadium. And, 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 and so some of the people might be going, you know what? That's a beautiful opening ceremony, Joshua. That's so, so, so good. But how, we're armed men, military, on the front and the back. Okay, how are we going to do this? How, how are we going to go into war? And Joshua's like, no, this is how you're going to war. You mean, you mean we're not going to paratroop in over the wall? We're not going to go under the wall? We're not going to go through the wall? We're not going to deploy some, some trick to, to pull the people out? And then they come out, we're going to get them like, we, like they're going to do over an AI? And Joshua says, no, no, no. You need to lay down your expectations of what you think this thing is going to look like and just march. And that's what we have to do as well. As a people, we have to lay down the expectations that we have of what this thing is going to look like, what our lives are going to look like, what our church is going to look like. We have to lay them down and say, you know what, God? Here's the thing. If you are going to ask me to march and to move in radical obedience, then I am going to simply have to trust you that what you say will come to pass. Here's the second thing. Walk a path. They're going to walk a path that leaves them open to ridicule and to questioning. They're going to leave themselves open to criticism. In fact, I would say that the criticism and the questioning begins among the people. Is this thing going to work? Are you kidding me? We have to do this six days, and then on the seventh day we're going to do it, and we're just going to shout, and the walls are going to come down? It leaves them open to criticism. It leaves them open to questioning. It leaves them open to ridicule from the people as the people are watching them march around the city. I know what this feels like because yesterday, yesterday from our sermon prep time, I came up here to the church. 
And I, I literally applied this text and I marched around the church yesterday. Marched around it eight times. I know I'm supposed to do it seven times, but I thought, you know what? For good measure, I'm going to do it an extra time. I had my shorts on, had my gym shoes on, and had, had, uh, I'd just gotten done playing basketball with Harrison, some of the guys, and so went home, dropped them off, came back, was going to study, and I said, you know what? I, I'm just going to pray. I, I'm just going to, I'm going to ask the Lord to, to do something amazing on this day in this body. I'm going to pray for this church, and it was a sweet, sweet time of praying. But here's what I learned. I learned a couple of things. I learned that as you walk and others watch you, there's an opening to questioning what in the world are you doing, right? So, so as I'm walking around uh, this, uh, the church, I began to notice that these cars started coming into the parking lot. And they started parking out here out front and across the road there. And it seemed like to be a, a, a pretty big crowd going on. And, you know, I'm like, what is happening? What, what is going on? I'm just the pastor here. I don't know what the world is going on. And it was a birthday party that someone was having inside here. So all these people are coming. And suddenly, I don't want people to go, hey, what are you doing, pastor? Why are you out here in your shorts? What, what's going on? I don't want them to see me doing this. And so um, I put the hood on. <laughs> I put the hood on and, and I, you know, I time it. So that as people walking across the street, I'm like, you know, just pay, pull back. I, in fact, I reversed course one time. I was going this way, and then I went around the other way because I wanted to. Tie, I didn't want anyone to see what was going on. So as I'm coming around the corner one day, I couldn't escape it because there was the chairman of the deacons right there in front of me. So I have a picture up here of David and Kim Massey as they were coming in, <laughs> and, and that's me. Um, as I look at that on the big screen, it, it's pretty scary. It either looks. It looks like I got a Jesus hood on, or that's the Unabomber. One of the two. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. But I'm walking around, and I'm opening, I'm opening myself up to, what is he doing? I don't want people to see. I don't want people to criticize. There was this one guy. He was walking, he was walking up and down the street, and we passed each other two times. I'm wondering, what do I do? Do I share the gospel with this guy? Is he going to report me? What is going on? You're just, but when you walk in vulnerability, you have to be willing to say, you know what? I have to be open to questioning and criticism and people saying, what are you doing? Sometimes we have to do things that we've never done before. Think about these people. As Joshua says, I want you to, this is what God has asked you to do. Well, we've never done it that way before. You ever hear that phrase? We, we, we would rather um, take advantage, Joshua, of, of your expertise. We'd rather take advantage of the resume that you built, Joshua. I mean, you got the military strategy in mind. You know what you're supposed to do. We've never done it that way before. We've never traveled this road before doing something we've never done before often stops you spiritually from taking the next step. Traveling a road that is uncertain often keeps us back from, from, from following Jesus and, and marching in obedience just because we no longer have the reins. We no longer understand exactly where we're going. As we were traveling back uh, on Friday from the beach, we were down in the low country, and you know, it takes a while to kind of wind through those roads to get up to the major interstates, whether it's 95 or 26. And so we're winding through these roads, and I thought I knew the road that we were going to take, but I punched it in, and 
on, on uh, Google Maps or whatever it was, and it took me this completely different route. You know how when you, when you have a route in mind and you think it's fairly clear, but when you start turning right here and left here and right here, and it, what happens? You're, you're going, no, 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 this can't be what you start doubting. You start getting impatient. You start saying, you know what? I, I wish I would have gone the other way. You, you st- all these questions, and then people in the car are like, Dad, do you know where you're going? That makes you really, really frustrated. When you travel a way you haven't been before, it brings uncertainty and doubt. And as these people are marching around the city, I mean, day three, day four, and day five, and day six, and they're thinking, okay, tomorrow's day seven. Is this really going to happen? And it draws on you and it pulls you to trust if God has said this to be true. I want to depend upon him. This is what we need to do as a church. We need as a church to say, you know what, God, if you're calling us as a church to another level, if you're calling us as a church to a next step, if you're calling us as a church to reach in a different way, if you're calling us, you've already called us as a church to worship in a different way, but if you're calling us as a church to, 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 to disciple and to engage in the word and to engage in others in a way that we've never done it before, then we should say, God, so be it. We'll trust you. We'll follow you if this is indeed what you're asking us to do. But then here's the third thing that we read this morning in our text, and it's this. Number three, sacrifice what you desire or think you deserve as an act of worship. Now, here's something that I haven't seen in this text before. I mean, I've seen it. I've written about this. But it never really, really zeroed in when it comes to what is in front of me or what's in front of us as a church. Read with me, beginning in verse 15. Let's read all the way down to verse 23, and here's what it says. On the seventh day, they rose early, and at the dawn of day, they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. And it was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Remember that. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen and sheep and donkeys with the edge of the sword." But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and they put them 
outside the camp of Israel. So that's how the story ends. But here, here's the third thought. Okay, are you ready? Joshua asked the people to sacrifice what they desire or even what they thought they deserved as an act of worship. Joshua comes in and he says, all right, when the city goes down, you go take the city. And here was the temptation. I mean, they had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Here they come into a city. And there's all these possessions, and there's gold, and there's silver, and there's clothing. And we learn in Joshua chapter 7, we learn what happens when someone disobeys what Joshua asked them to do. We learn that Achan takes some of the clothes for himself and some of the money for himself, and, and, it brings, and it brings devastation upon him and upon his family, and it brings devastation upon the nation of Israel. But here is what Joshua is saying. He's saying, listen, listen, I know you desire these things. I know you think you deserve these things. But when you go rushing into the city, I want you just to stop. And I want you to say, I know we need this and I know we deserve this. We've been wandering in the wilderness, but give it up. Sacrifice it. Give it to God as an act of worship. In your relationships, give them to God. Sacrifice your children. Obviously not physically sacrifice it. But here's what is hard for us as parents. We have our children, our most prized possessions, the things that we, we long to see in their lives. We long for them to have certain things and do certain things and become certain things. And we have to give them up and give them to the Lord. Our traditions, our styles, our, our worship, our, our rooms, everything about us at Taylor's, we should come here to God collectively and say, you know what, Lord, if you're asking us to give up what we desire or what we even think we deserve, you know what, God, as an act of worship, in order to see your name move forward around the city, bring the walls down, your name to spread throughout this land, we will give up and sacrifice what we deserve or what we think we need. It's an important part in this story because here's what, here's, what, here's what God is doing. He's giving them. He's giving them a model to follow as they enter into the land. That there's to be nothing more important than the Lord God. Sacrifice it. Give it up. Number four, then exercise faith that dives into God's long-term story. I wish we had time really just to go into the story of Rahab from Joshua chapter 2 and then Joshua chapter 6. She's a prostitute. She's a foreigner. Everything marked her as unworthy of the grace of God, but because of her faith, she enters into God's long-time story of the gospel. Do you realize that this woman, this prostitute, who would be overlooked, who would be discarded, who would be criticized, who would be kind of left out, is one that God uses to bring about the Messiah. You go over to Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus. Here she is. Do you realize that? Jesus is a descendant of this prostitute. What incredible faith that she exercised. What incredible grace. And because of her faith, she dives into God's story of the people of God. But little does she know that as she dives in with her faith, 
with her radical obedience, different than the other Jerichoites there. Hey, as she dives into it, little does she know what God will do long term with her life. And so it is with us. Little do we know that when we exercise radical obedience, little do we know what God will do with that faith. And he's putting it all together in this incredible story of his gospel getting out to people all over the world. Let me read to you something that I picked up just this week. And it's written by, it's a book written by Gene Flynn, and it's the history of the First Baptist Church of Taylor, South Carolina. And it's the history of our church, which started back in 1864. So this was written in 1964. So this was written a century after the church was founded. And here's what I want to do as we try and as we try and come into our commitment time this morning. Here's what I want to do. I, I want us to understand that we as a church, when God asks us to obey, we're going to talk about ways in which we can commit together to, to obey in radical obedience in just a second. But when God asks us to obey, it is part of his long-term story that he's weaving, not only of his son Jesus, but of a place like this. And how that God started this place 154 years ago with a heart for reaching people and with a heart for his name going where his name had not been before. Let me read you just a few sentences from the opening chapter of, of Gene Flynn's book. Listen to the founding of this place. It says this, the time is Sunday, August 28, 1864. The place is the Chick Springs community in Greenville District. The occasion is the organizing of the Chick Springs Baptist Church. The church, a one-room frame rectangle, stands about 30 yards above the spring in a grove of beautiful trees, which is just down the road here, just down Main Street. The little group visiting in the churchyard before the service begins is made up largely of older men and and women and children for the war between the states has already dragged through four long years. Those four long years have been hard on the families left at home too. Among those entering the church are the soldiers, half-clad, barefooted wives and children who have trudged wearily along in the soft dust of the narrow road or who have followed a crooked path through the woods to reach the springs. Some of the congregation are persons of education and culture, refugees from Charleston and the lower part of the state. A few buggies and wagons stand under the trees in the creek of the windless protest as one man draws a bucket of water for a patient horse thirsty in the August heat. Now compared to its former brilliance and gaiety, Chick Springs seems forlorn and now deserted. But within the church, undaunted by war and sorrow and hardship, in privation, the little congregation begins a hymn, and when the service is over, has organized a church with 17 members and has ordained two deacons and a church clerk. Not bad for a Sunday morning, huh? And thus it begins. God's work of building a body here. And God asks us this morning, God asks us to 
move in radical obedience to whatever it is he has for us. So that together, so that together, in the year 2018, this place can move to a different place of seeing God's glory spread in a new way. So here's what I want to walk us through this morning. How can you obey? How can we move together? Take out, if you will, in your bulletin this commitment card right here, and I'm just going to lead us through this, and then we're going to have a time of commitment, and then we're going to pray together, and then we'll head home. How can we move together as a church? And here's the, here's the interesting thing. As I was thinking about the options that we're, we're putting in front of you, many of these things are just fundamental. I, I mean, these are things that are, are part, of, part of what we do as a body. But you know what? Some of these things are really radical acts of obedience for, for many of us. They're not easy, some of these things. But together in the word and in our worship and in our witness, in the three categories there, if we put all these things together, we, we form a movement. We form a people walking together to say, you know what, God, we want to depend upon you. And you are asking me to step forward as an individual or as a family to listen to what you have to say and then to move so that together collectively we can see God do amazing things. So you see there are a couple of options. Together in the Word, for instance. Maybe God is calling you to begin now or to continue in the F260 reading plan, as I, as I showed you there in the bulletin, or maybe go out and see if any journals are available. And you say, you know what? I, I've never really read the Word of God for myself. I, I want to begin to do that. Or maybe in a life group, some of you are not connected into a community around the Word of God. Or, or in a D group. What's a D group? A D group is simply three men, who, three to five men or three to five women who read through the reading plan, who read the word together, and then they encourage one another. They prayed with one another and they disciple one another. I told the first hour, two of my favorite things to do at Taylor's First Baptist Church are to preach to you every single Sunday and to gather with my guys throughout the week around the word. I absolutely love it. I need it. I need those guys. I need the word that God speaks through them and through his text. And I, I need that. Maybe some of you say, you know what? I need that as well. You put it down. You mark it down. Our worship time, a sweet, sweet time of worship this morning. As we gathered around my table in my office as a worship staff, we said, you know what? What if we just challenge people? Hey, will you be faithful in your worship? Summer's coming, I got it. Vacation's coming, I got it. But would you say, you know what? We're going to be faithful to come hear the word of God and to give and to be with the people of God. Or maybe to, to give to meet our budget. You know what? Hopefully in, in the near future here, we'll, we'll talk about what it means to give generously to the Lord. But here's the reality. Here's the reality is we, we, we move into the second quarter of this year. The reality is this, that so many of you are faithful. And here's the word for you who give generously, who give sacrificially and faithfully. Thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord 
and, and for just allowing him to take what you have every single week. But here, here's the reality on the other end. There are some people who come every single week and, and giving is something that is so foreign, it's so difficult, it's so hard for whatever reason. And maybe this morning, Maybe this morning, seeing the people who could have grabbed the silver and the gold, could have grabbed the possessions, but God said, hold it, no, that's mine. The silver and gold, put it in the treasury and the possessions, and you know what? I'm going to take care of you down the road here. Maybe some of you, now is the time to begin giving faithfully, setting aside something every week and say, Lord, this is yours. Or to become part of this body. Here's a very practical step. We have a dinner with the staff two weeks from tomorrow or Tuesday. It's in your bulletin there. We, we encourage you to come. Some of you have been coming and visiting, and it's been great to see your faces. But you know what? Now's the time to come and say, you know what? This is the type of place that God is calling me to. You put that down. We'll be in touch with you. And then together in our witness. The beautiful thing is I look at some of the cards that are up here already from the first hour is to see the names of people and they put down, we, we commit to pray for so-and-so because they're lost. Or maybe you want to be trained in conversational evangelism. Wednesdays at 6.30 is this incredible time where you with other people will learn, how do I, how do I share the gospel? We want to equip you. We want to help you. How do, how do I do something that's incredibly difficult? But here's what I, I said to the first, first service. Last Sunday, when those people came down forward and they, their hearts were broken and, and they needed Jesus in some form or some fashion. It was moving, and it moved me to think and to pray. Am I praying for lost people? Do I see lost people? Or am I so consumed by my church life, my religion? I don't see people. I'm walking around the church. One whole lap around the church, I'm praying, Lord, these homes right here, people. Need Jesus. Have we lost the sense of a heart in all of our religiosity, all our disciple making, all of our worship, all needed, but have we lost a heart for people? 154 years ago, Alfred Taylor and those people had a heart for this community. You have people that only you can reach. And what I mean by that is they're not going to come hear me. I'm a preacher. When people hear I'm a preacher, part of the time they run for the hills. But you work with them. And you live next to them. They trust you. Do you know why God put them in relationship with you? so that the gospel could come through you to them. So maybe this morning you want to write the name down. Here's what, here's what we as a staff are going to do. We're going to take these names. We're not going to disseminate them and embarrass anybody, but we're, we're going to pray through these names regularly. We're going to walk with you to see people come to faith in Jesus. So as we... Stand and sing. I hope you've had an opportunity with a pen maybe to, to write some of these things down.
Let's stand together now, and here's how we're going to do this thing, okay? We're going to move together, as it says there at the top. And what I want you to do is is to mark it down, or maybe you just need to sit there and think through it just a little bit as we sing, and, and, and just check one of these boxes, this dear, dear saint here who, who put this down here, they, they check multiple boxes here and maybe more than one. And, and then I want you to come and I want you to, to lay it on the altar or lay it down here as a sign of, I give this to you, Lord. The ark was in the middle of the people. The altar here represents meeting with God and you come and I, I want you to, to lay it down on the steps or right up here. And I want you to stay up here because here's what's going to happen. At the end of our time together, as you sing, I just want you to sing as Kevin leads us and the words are on the screen. I just want you to sing this song of surrender, but I want you to see the body of Christ moving together. I want you to give your heart to Christ in this body in a new and fresh way. And you come as the Lord leads you. You come with your wife, you come with your, your family and I'm just going to stand down here and sing with you and let the Lord just work on our hearts and see a new, fresh day. The work of the Holy Spirit begin among us. Encourage one another as you sing together. Love one another as you sing together. And let's commit to Christ together. All right? You come. You come as the Lord leads you and Kevin leads us.